I've often said as a uh, parent that the first word that uh, children learn in their life, you can say it with me if you know what it is, is the word no. Exactly, yeah, here you guys are with me on that. But I think the uh, first phrase that they learn, that we learn as people, is the phrase or the sentence, it's not fair. We learn that at an early age, don't we? Uh, especially if we have siblings. We get that one down really good, don't we? If we have siblings. Mom, Dad, it's not fair if I had a dime for every time. I've heard that over the past few years. I'd be a rich man. I'd be retiring early. But we learn that at an early age. And as we age, it seems like the attitude surrounding the idea or the uh, vocalization of those words, it's not fair, uh, continues to grow in our hearts, in our minds. And we're faced with situations in life. We look around us and we see that you know, there are some people that do bad things that get all the breaks and uh, they end up with all the benefits. And we look at our family and we may compare ourselves to a brother or sister or someone else in our family because they seem to have everything going on and everything seems to go right for them. And we may look at our friends and it seems like, like you know, their relationships are just picture perfect when we struggle with ours and you know, they have all the wealth that they could ever have and we're struggling to make ends meet. You may be here today and you're in a health crisis and you're faced with some kind of health issue and you look around and see other people that are the same age and same type of fitness, same kind of you know, background, and they're perfectly healthy. And It's easy to get into this trap of continuing through life with the attitude of it's not fair. And i got to tell you, that can be an incredibly debilitating attitude towards life if we allow it to fester, if we allow it to kind of sink into our psyche and our spirit and who we are as people. If we continue in that mode of saying it's not fair, man, we can really, really get on a slippery slope and a downward spiral towards things that uh, are really scary in our lives. We're kicking off this three-week series. We don't normally do three-week series around here, but we're leading up to Easter. And over the course of these next few weeks, uh, I want us to take a look at the life of Jesus. Because if there's anyone that's ever experienced life and, and, and had the opportunity to say it's not fair... It's the Son of God, Jesus, isn't it? He had so many things in his life that were against him. I mean, this is the Savior of the world. This is God's own Son that was sent here to this fallen, evil, uh, sinful world, and he lived for 33 years, and he was faced with the same types of situations in life that you and I are faced with that we just go, hey, you know, my life is, is really not at all. Fair, And I got to tell you something today. I want you to hear this on Sunday morning. What is it? March the 6th. Okay, it's Sunday morning, March the 6th. And I want you to hear something. If you're here today and your attitude or your psyche or your words are it's not fair, guess what? You are right. Life is not fair, is it? Life is not fair. You can search scripture and find nowhere in God's word to us where we see that life is supposed to be fair. In fact, I'm a big believer that um, pastors and 
uh, Christian religious leaders that tell you if you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and, and your life is just going to work out great, it's going to be just fine for the rest of your life, I think they are selling you a bill of goods. I really do. And you see, what I hope and pray that you understand over these next few weeks is, is that because Jesus went through some of the stuff that life deals all of us, because he experienced it, um, we have a Savior and we have a God on our side that understands what we go through. And man, there's power in that. There's the ability to get out of the pit of it's not fair and live your life in a way that's honoring and glorifying to him and healthy and helpful for you and those around you that you love. So I'm excited about this short journey we'll take that'll lead us up to Easter. It's really going to be kind of a nine-week journey because we're going to kind of dovetail into our uh, Easter series, which I'm very excited about, and uh, I'm glad that you're here, and I hope that you'll stick with us for these next few weeks. Hey, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1. Yeah, it's not Christmas, I get it, but we're turning to Matthew chapter 1 this morning as we take a look at how Jesus was able to say it's not fair because of his family background, his genealogy his ancestry, he was able to say life is not fair. Uh, I read years ago uh, an anonymous quote. Uh, the quote goes like this, if you expect the world to be fair with you because you're fair, you're fooling yourself. That's like expecting the lion not to eat you because you didn't eat him. Isn't that great? I love that quote. That's awesome. I mean, it's really true, isn't it? I'm fair, so why aren't these people fair to me? I'm fair to, to life. Why isn't life fair to me? It's like expecting the lion not to eat you because you decided not to eat it. That's the way life goes. Aren't you excited and encouraged Sunday morning? Okay, all right, I promise you, you'll leave encouraged. All right, uh, there's a, a guy who wrote, wrote a book, Dr. Steve uh, Maraboli. He said, the only thing that makes life unfair is the delusion that it should be fair. We are delusioned if we think life is going to be fair, but guess what? If you're here today and you're a Christ follower, if you're here today and you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, you have one who understands what you are going through in the area of your life that seems unfair and that is unfair and that you're struggling with. He understands it, and that allows you to be able to connect with him. It allows you to be able to believe and trust in him to a deeper level. And I promise you, if you can get this down, it'll allow you to get out of the pit of it's not fair that you and I, I'm preaching to the choir today, or the, I guess I'm preaching to the pastor, but anyway, like that we like fall into so many times, and I fall into it so many times as well. It's delusional for us to think that life is not, or that life is going to be fair. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited about this, but I got to tell you, uh, when it comes to this, we, we could spend like weeks on this, right? Because Jesus faced so many things that were unfair, and I've picked three out. I've picked three situations in his life that were unfair to him, and we're going to begin by talking about his genealogy, his family, his family history. Uh, I, I got to tell you that um, my grandfather on my mom's side of the family, he passed away. His name was Bill Boyd, um, and uh, he passed away in 2012. And my grandfather uh, lived a long life, very, very happy life. He helped uh, three different churches uh, get started, and uh, one of the churches was this one. He helped us out. He wasn't here because he lived in Florida, but he helped us out financially in the early days of this church, and he helped uh, two other churches down in Florida get started. And he was um, a guy that I really looked up to. He's a very successful businessman, a banker. Um, my personality and his couldn't be more different, but I loved him to death. 
and uh, I called him Pop. And uh, so Pop was just, just great in my mind. And one of the things that we connected on was our love for history. And because he had a love for history, um, he kept our family's genealogy. And he spent a lot of time in his retirement years um, researching our family's genealogy. Now, some of you are, are like, that's just strange and weird, and like I would never spend any time doing that. But um, this is something that I'm actually interested in, okay? So you get to hear about it. All right, okay, so um, what he did was, I don't know if he'll ever, you know, if I ever receive a dime from my pop, but he passed something very valuable to me down, and that was a book, a notebook about that thick with all of our family's genealogy as far back as we could go. And I just love that thing because it it really gives us the history of our family. But I got to tell you, um, how many of you have ever studied the genealogy of your family? Uh, Just raise your hand this morning. All right, all right. You're nerds like me. Awesome. Yes, we've got some nerds in here. That's great. Um, You will find out some things about your family that you may not want to know. Am I right? Uh, You may find out some things that you're like, uh, wait a minute, we need to like, get rid of that record because that person really doesn't belong in the family tree. Like we need to like get them out of there. Can I steal the record? You know, can I get rid of that in the courthouse? Because I really don't want to know. And so my grandfather uh, did this research and he, he wrote this uh, or, or put this little article in there about um, uh, an ancestor that we had that actually came over um, uh, from the Netherlands uh, back in the 1600s. And he was uh, an interesting man. He actually uh, was, uh, was a guy who over in Europe uh, was a farmer. And so he would help uh, and assist wealthy farmers clear their land. And so when he came over to the New World in the 1600s, um, he began to help a rich farmer by the name of Jonas Bronx. And Jonas Bronk was this man who um, lived uh, on the east coast of the United States, moved there also from, actually I think he came, maybe came from the Faroe Islands, but he was Dutch, uh, as, as was my family. Um, my, my, the last name of my uh, uh, ancestor was Die. And uh, Mr. Die, my great, 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 whatever it is, grandfather, all the way back to the 1600s, cleared this land for a guy named Jonas uh, Bronk. And uh, Jonas Bronk cleared this land to build a farm on. And he built this farm, and it became a very successful farm. In fact, it was so successful that as time went on, um, he began to sell parts of it off, and his kids sold parts of it off. And today, we know that area of New York City by his last name that we changed a little bit because it was the Bronx. And so I have an ancestor that cleared the Bronx, but not only did my ancestor, Mr. Dye, clear the Bronx for this farm that was going in, but the piece of land that was cleared was right on the, the Bronx River there that separates the Bronx from Manhattan, and he cleared a piece of land that now today is Fordham University. And, and you know, so like I have uh, an ancestor that was involved in university uh, uh, studies, and you know, I, I'm just kidding. He was like just a farmer, okay, and that you know, that fits me. I'm good with that. But um, he, um, he, you know, that's kind of a that's kind of a badge of honor, isn't it? I mean, I've got a, I've got an ancestor that like cleared this land for the guy who the Bronx was named after. Um, that that should be a badge of honor. And, and he probably, you know, made some money doing that, and he probably was, was relatively successful doing that because he knew Mr. Bronk, who's kind of an assistant. Um, this same man went on later in his life to serve a life sentence for selling his wife. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, we've got to get, this has got to be absconded. We've got to get this out of the record because this doesn't fit 
like the Cullen and the boy genealogy, right? This just doesn't, this isn't working for us. Well, it is what it is. I mean, you guys know the deal. Um, if you research long enough, your family, I'll bet you find someone like that too, okay? So don't look judgmental at me, okay? All right. But, um, you know, that was the 1600s, and here we are far removed. But I got thinking about it. He had a few sons that ended up being my ancestors as well. I, I wonder what happened um, to them. They had to live through that. They had to live through the shame and the scandal of something that dad did or grandpa did. And I wonder what the consequences were for them. Some of you are here today and um, you're reaping the unfortunate consequences of someone in your family, whether it was now or maybe a generation or two ago, um, and you're reaping the negative consequences, the unfortunate consequences of someone else who made a very poor decision. And so your life's not fair and it's not fair is the fact that you're having to deal with the consequences of a decision that you didn't even make. And whether it was public or private, the shame and scandal that kind of comes along with being born or adopted into the family that you're adopted into leads you to, to say, man, it's, it's just not fair. And I get that, I understand that, because we've experienced it in our family, not just in generations ago, but in recent generations. And so I understand that. I get that. I understand that. Jesus understood this. His genealogy isn't as pure as we want to think that his genealogy is. I want to show you this in Matthew chapter 1. His genealogy really is kind of riddled with a dark past. He had to live his life facing the ridicule and the judgment of people around him because of the line of people he came from. Every Christmas we open our Bibles up uh, to Matthew chapter 1, even if you're here today and you don't believe, you probably have heard the story of Matthew chapter 1 when Jesus was born to a virgin by the name of Mary. But often what we do is we skip those first few verses in chapter 1. And we go all the way down to, you know, verse 18 because all the first 17 verses are is just a list of names, right? They're meaningless, right? They're not. They're not meaningless at all. In fact, tucked in here is some real interesting, scandalous things about the genealogy of your Savior and my Savior, Jesus. And because of that, he understands the shame and the scandal that goes along with people who've made decisions in the past that weren't so pure. Take a look at this in Matthew chapter 1. I love this. He says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. So far, so good, right? We've probably heard most of those names at some point in time. Reputable, reputable men, men of character, or at least somewhat of character, maybe except for David. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then it says this in verse 3, And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. By Tamar, we're going to come back to that in a moment. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, 
That's a nice name, isn't it? I love that. And Ram, the father of uh, Aminadab, that was easy to say, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. I want you to remember that name. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. I want you to remember that name. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. And look at the end of verse 6. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Who was that? Bathsheba. I hear some of you saying it. Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Remember that name. Now skip all the way over to verse 16. We're, we're going to skip uh, those, those verses, not because they're unimportant, but I can't pronounce half the names, okay? So that's why we're skipping. All right, verse 16. And Jacob, the, I'm just kidding. The reason we're not going to do that is because it doesn't relate to the message I'm preaching, and I don't know how to pronounce the names. Verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, all the way down to Jesus' line, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now, in a genealogy in that day and age, when a genealogy was listed, the only time, and ladies, I'm, I'm sorry about this, okay, but the only time that women were mentioned in a genealogy back in this day, okay, it, it has changed, and rightly so, I'm saying that just so I don't get in trouble, and I believe that, okay, ladies, don't send me emails, okay? Um, in that day and age, women weren't listed, Sorry, it just is what it is. Don't be mad at me, okay? All right, women weren't listed in the genealogy. Hardly ever. Unless, I want you to hear this, unless it added to the, um, to the purity or the validity of a genealogy, women were not listed in the genealogy. And here in Matthew, he lists five names, five women in this genealogy. And it's interesting that he does that. And the reason that he does that is because these five women were wildly important to the genealogy of the one who came to save the world. But the problem is, is that for Jesus, the mention of these five women would have brought him a lot of ridicule and shame. And we'll see why in a moment. Now, we're not going to go into the detail of these five women. And ladies, let me tell you, um, like, I'm going to describe these women just briefly. And I got to tell you that the men who are listed here, all the others, they're, they're just as responsible for the impurity of the line of Jesus as these five women are. But that's the whole point, is that these five women are just like royalty because their story actually makes Jesus more believable. And the reason that Matthew put them in there was for you and I to, number one, believe Jesus. We'll talk about this in a moment. But also to know that he understands when we have families and people in our families that make decisions that affect us negatively. Um, Isaiah predicted this all the way back in, in the Old Testament. Check this out in Isaiah 53, 1 through 4. Um, he says this, who has believed um, what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up, this is talking about Jesus, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised 
and rejected. I want you to say those words with me. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Listen, Jesus' genealogy wasn't supposed to be pure. He was prophesied to come from a king, and he, he did, didn't he? But there's nowhere in Scripture that says that his genealogy was supposed to be pure. And so Jesus' heritage and his upbringing were riddled with shame. Just like some of your upbringing is riddled with shame. And often shame that was just put upon you. These five women would have brought shame to to Jesus' heritage. Tamar, the first one that's mentioned there in uh, verse 3. Tamar was Judah's wife um, who, who had children out of wedlock. That was the story of Tamar in a nutshell. She wasn't supposed to be the savior of the world, the son of God. She wasn't supposed to be the one that would bring about the line of Jesus, was she? It's too impure. It's not good enough. Rahab, a non-Jewish prostitute from Jericho. You know, the, a lot of you know the story of, of Rahab. She played an important key role in the history of Israel, but she also played an important key role in the line of Jesus. Ruth, Ruth was a Moabite woman, a non-Jewish woman, um, who by her marriage to Boaz ended up becoming an ancestor of Jesus. This wasn't a pure Jewish line either. Bathsheba, most of us know the story of Bathsheba. This was the woman with whom King David um, committed adultery. And really, I should have put in there that also led to him committing what? Murder. I mean, I, I think that my guy's got a bad past. I mean, this is ugly, right? This is ugly. My guy just sold his wife. David murdered someone. Wow. And then the last one he mentions is Mary. Jesus' mother, who was not married when she was pregnant with Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit did his work. Jesus was born from a virgin. Mary, we, we don't know exactly how old she was, but she was young. She was young. Can you imagine, just imagine, the ridicule that came Jesus' way because of the family he was born into? Man, it's not fair. It's not fair that the Son of God was born into that kind of history. That's exactly the point, and you and I can learn so much from that. Man, it wasn't fair that the Son of God purposed with entering the world and saving it, with entering the world and saving it, did so under such difficult circumstances. I'm not even going to talk about where he came from, Nazareth. I'm not going to talk about um, what what he grew up doing, becoming a carpenter. Um, Jesus was faced with a lot of circumstances that were part of his story just by being born into the family that he was born into. So the shame of Jesus' heritage really does a few things, and, and I'm just going to summarize it with three things that I believe that it does for you and for me that helps us in so many ways. And at first glance, we look at it, and it may seem uncomfortable, and it may seem not right, but God was in charge, and God knew exactly what he was doing. First and foremost, I believe that it makes and it proves the message or the truth of of Jesus' message. You see, his story proves the truth of his message. In fact, um, if the story were more believable, like if the genealogy and the ancestry were more pure, 
it would make it less believable, right? It would make it less believable. Like, you know, I mean, this is just too much to be true. But God knew what he was doing. You know, if it were a lie, the story would have been fabricated to, to make Jesus' heritage look more worthy of, of the Son of God or the Savior of the world. But he knew what he was doing. Because he chose to save the world through a man who, well, while he was perfect, also experienced all the things that we experience because he was also all man. He was all God, but he was also all man. You see, Matthew's blatant mention of these scandalous characters and the story that surrounds them um, lends credibility and believability to the story of Jesus. So if you're here today and you've been a doubter, allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to, to begin to speak to you about the fact that in these verses, in this genealogy that seems so detailed and nerdy and like, you know, unimportant, and we skip over it to, to read about the birth of Jesus, this was important. Women were not normally mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. But God thinks so much of each one of us that he chose to mention these characters and the stories surrounding them. Secondly, Jesus' heritage, the shame of Jesus' heritage, secondly, brings comfort knowing that Jesus understands us. It brings comfort knowing that Jesus understands us. Listen, because Jesus knew the shame uh, that was kind of from his heritage and from his own family and genealogy, he can sympathize with with our less than desirable heritage and family as well. Listen, you, you may have experienced something growing up that is so incredibly private that the scandal may be between you and someone else. And if you're here today and you've suffered something like that, I'm terribly sorry. But I want to let you know that Jesus understands that pain. He connects with you in that pain. He was all God and he was perfect. But he was also all man. And he had to suffer the ridicule and the shame of being brought up into the family that he was brought into. Jesus' scandalous heritage thirdly demonstrates that hope and purpose can be found in our story. And listen, I, I get it when, when something has been brought upon you or you've been a victim of, of someone else's choices, you're having to suffer the consequences of something that someone else has done. You think that there's no hope. You think that your story is over. <laughs> Not so if you're a Christ follower. Not so if you're here today and you believe that this is true. You see, the fact that um, God used a flawed and rebellious and sinful bloodline Please, don't hear me saying Jesus was flawed and sinful, okay? I don't want those emails, okay? (laughs) Jesus was perfect, okay? Do you hear me? Jesus was perfect. But his bloodline was less than. To save the world demonstrates that God can use us regardless of our upbringing, regardless of what family we were born into, regardless of our heritage or ancestors or genealogy, or regardless of our parents' decisions or regardless of an aunt or uncle's decisions, or regardless of a sibling's decisions, or regardless of a spouse's decisions. Jesus lowered himself. He was all God, but he lowered himself to the point of being able to take on that ridicule and shame 
so that you and I can have comfort, so that you and I can have hope, and so that you and I can believe in him. Paul, the Apostle Paul, in um, speaking to the church in, in uh, Philippi, says this. I love this. He says, Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of, say it with me, God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be purposeful about. He didn't himself, even though he was God and he could have had equality with God, he, he didn't count that as his purpose or his focus, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Listen, today um, really is, for some of you, is going to be about healing, or at least starting the healing process. And that's my prayer for you over the next three weeks. And some of you are here today, and uh, you've been a, a victim, just, let's just put it bluntly, of someone else's decisions. And whether the sh scandal and shame is private or whether it's public and in the newspaper, which I found out in a small community can happen, right? <laughs> Am I right? Whether it's private or whether it's public, you and I can move from a place of saying it's not fair to a place of really understanding God's purpose and the hope that he has for us if we really connect with Jesus. And not just his divinity, but his humanity as well. Here's the bottom line. If parts of your life are shameful to you, remember that Jesus not only understands, but he has a plan and a purpose to use you anyway. Even if you walked in these doors today and you're an unbeliever, he's got a purpose and he's got a plan to use you anyway. Regardless of your background or your choices or your family origin, you are valued by God. You're loved by God. And you and I can be used by God as well. I'm going to pray here in a moment. And um, I've asked my, my prayer team, we've got some elders and life group leaders and, and prayer leaders that are going to come up front here. And I'm going to ask you guys during my prayer, you prayer leaders, to, to just come, come on up here. And, and they're going to be up here. Some of them will be down by the cross. Some of them may be sitting in these seats. Some of them may be standing right here. Um, our band's going to play here in a few moments. And over the next few minutes... As they sing two songs, I'm going to ask you, first of all, not to leave. But the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to allow God's Holy Spirit to do a work in your life. Because I know that there are some of you out there that are under the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment of things that may have happened to you from years and decades ago. And I want you to know that Jesus understands and that part of his hope and his plan for your life is, is you shedding that guilt, and that shame, and that scandal that may have happened in your family. And my challenge to you is to be brave enough and bold enough to stand up during these last two songs and to get up and have someone pray for you and pray that God will release you from those chains because he came to give you freedom. He didn't come to allow you to be kept in those chains. 
came to give you freedom. So I want to encourage you to do that after we're done praying over these next few minutes. If I could have the band and our prayer team come on up front. God, thank you so much that while you were 100% perfect and while you were 100% God, you were also 100% man. And you faced some of the same um, consequences of other people's decisions just like we have to face. And God, I pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus for those who are in here today and they have been hurt and they have been um, uh, 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 had to suffer the consequences of someone else's decisions in their life. Maybe it was decades ago when they were a child um, or maybe it's been recently. And God, I, I pray that you would help us to um, first and foremost believe that Jesus' story is true because of the fact that um, the line he came from, the genealogy he came from, while it was royalty, God, it certainly wasn't pure. You used imperfect people hundreds of years before Jesus was even born to bring the Savior into the world. And God, I, I pray that you would help us to find hope and purpose your plan in that. And right now, God, I pray that you would help those who are in this room who need to be released from the chains and the bondage of, of some of the things that they've been struggling with for years. Um, God, I pray that you would help them to, to release that today. God, I pray that you would give them boldness to come forward. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, um, I'm going to ask you as well just to come forward and tell one of these folks who wants to pray with you that same thing so that they can help you in that faith walk. Listen, for some of you, this is just a start. For some of you, this is just the first step towards really like healing in your life. And I, and I just pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would have the boldness to come forward and to lift these burdens up to Jesus and lay them at the foot of the cross where he took them so that you don't have to carry them anymore. God, I pray that you would do a work in here today over these next few minutes. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.